Hey friends, welcome back to The Smattering, where we like to answer the hard questions about investing. I'm Jason Hall, joined as usual by Jeff Santoro, the voice of the people. Jeff, I have no idea why I was enunciating every single word that I just said completely than I completely different than I normally do. Well, you got to switch it up. I mean, we have the same read in every week, which I think is nice, right? There's some film familiarity for the audience, but it's okay to switch it up every once in a while. That's true. That's true. That's right. Nobody puts Jason in a corner. Sure. <laughs> Jeff, we got a fun show lined up. This is going to be a little familiar-ish to kind of a little bit of the vibe we've had recently. We did the episode a few weeks ago, the, I don't know how to, <clears throat> I don't know how to invest anymore episode. And then we immediately talked about stocks through the lens of how things have changed, how the environment's changed, cost of money change, all that stuff. So we thought we would play a little game and this one's going to be different because we didn't really script it out a lot. We have some themes, but we don't really have a really tight outline like we normally do. We're calling this one hitting reset. What if you could start over? Yeah, we often will have a conversation here with each other, like before we re record something or after we record something, and then we say to ourselves, Oh, we should have recorded that because it's it's fun to capture just the live in the moment conversation where it's not planned out. We're just asking each other questions, picking each other's brains on stuff. So we're going to do that for you right now. We're going to do a live episode where we just have a conversation around a topic that is probably the most common thing that at least I say to you, which is I'm going to sell everything and start over, which I've not done, but we we. We say that to you. I, I say it to you a lot, and then we end, end up talking about it. Before we dive in, though, I just want to do a quick little housekeeping notes for everyone. We are up to a couple dozen uh, reviews and a handful of ratings on the podcast apps. Now, that is a small fraction of the number of people who listen each week. So if you are listening right now and you are a kind-hearted individual who's enjoying our podcast, if you could take a moment to do one of two things or both things. So one is just open up your app. Go to the little rating five-star thing, give us a review. And the second thing is, if you want to take a few more seconds out of your life, type a little message about how you're enjoying the show so it pops up on the podcast apps. We've, we're starting to hear from some people that they've found us through the podcast being recommended to them on either Spotify or Apple Podcasts. So it's working, but we have a lot more listeners than we do reviews. So we really appreciate that. And while you're at it, don't forget that we have a YouTube channel where we do where we post these episodes each week, but we also do short videos on specific stocks. So if you're into that kind of thing and want a little bit of a different side of what we do together, you can check that out too. All right. So with those things said, let's move into this, Jason. So I was thinking about this, the question of what would I do if I could start over? I don't know if it, I would do as much differently as I initially thought I would do. But I do have a couple things in mind, but I'm going to start with you because you've been investing a lot longer than I have, and you have an established portfolio that kind of is what it is at this point. So I guess my question to you is stipulating that you already have your emergency fund taken care of, and you're just brand new to investing in stocks. Would you do anything differently if you were starting over today? The thing that makes this so hard to really do well is hindsight bias is a thing, right? And also, let's be honest, there's recency bias too. It's, it's easy to look at, you know, last year was a terrible year 
And the beginning of this year has actually been pretty good, but it doesn't, I don't think it really feels good. Yeah. You know, because there's all the uncertainty. Interest rates still very high. Inflation's still an issue. All of those things that just seem to make it doesn't, doesn't feel good, even though it's years that we're almost up double digits since the beginning of the year. So to me, I think one of the important things about this thought exercise is trying to do as much as you can to like get out of your own head. I like that because I think if you would ask me this question in December of 2020, I would have said nothing. I'm the world's best investor. Right. right. You and every other new investor. Yeah, exactly. Right. So I think you're right. I think the hindsight bias is real. And and you brought up another good point I hadn't really thought about. Yeah, if you go look at your, anyone should do this, open up your brokerage account and look at your year to date returns. And I bet you they will look better than you think they do because there's probably still a lot of positions in all of our accounts that are still in the red. They might be up 30, 40, 50% this year and still in the red because they dropped so much in 2022. So I think those that's a good place to start is like, we have to both get our heads out of the, the recent past and try to think about it more, more holistically. One of the other important things for me, again, I've, I've been picking individual stocks since 2008, 2007, 2008, 2009. I bought my first, I dabbled a little bit before that, you know, in the early 2000s, but like actually making a concerted effort to buy stocks, to hold the whole business focused approach. So I've, I've been, I've, I've done this long enough. And of course, you know, I write about it. I do a ton of research. This is, this is my day job, right? Doing, doing this. So th those are other things that can just kind of skew perspective. But one of the other things that I've been thinking a lot about since we decided to, to record this episode is how much of what I know now, I'm a good investor. I'm a good stock picker because I've been able to do it as long as I have. And You're modest I'm, too. I'm really modest. I'm, I'm the most modest. Lots of people are talking about how modest, how modest I am. But no, it's seriously, I, I, I think it's important like to acknowledge that yeah, I'm I'm good at I'm good at this. I'm better. So let's than the play the game this way. So let's play the game this way. If you could start over now, but with your knowledge base, right? So you're not starting over from day one of like what is a stock. Yeah. You're starting over right now with someone has sold all of your stocks. Right. Right. And it's now just cash. But here's the challenge, and this is what I wanted to get to. Like, it's the experience I've I've learned, I've earned. Not the knowledge, but the experience going through mistakes. Yeah. Screwing up a ton of times, like mistakes of, of commission, as Warren Buffett has written about before. It's like, I chose to buy this stock. I chose to make this move with my money. It blew up in my face. I learned a lesson. And then there's also the lessons of experience of this went terribly and there was really nothing I could have done to avoid it. It just happened. It's right? just part of the part of the thing. Yeah. It's 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 a feature, not a bug, as they say, right? right. And then the reality that the majority of your returns are gonna come from twenty percent or less of your of your holdings, right? Again, those are features, not bugs. So so like thinking like through like all of that stuff. And if I were starting over today, like kind of what I've come down to is 
I have to look at my portfolio, think about my goals, think about what I own, and think about, okay, what am I doing wrong? What am I being intractable about just because I'm, I'm hanging, maybe I'm price anchoring, right, on, on an investment idea that hasn't gone well, or I just haven't gotten to the point where I'm willing to move on from Tellurian, for example. People that have listened for a while or read any of my writing, you'll, you'll know what I'm talking about there. But I think, I think that's one of the things that's been a real challenge for me is trying to see through you know, 15 years of decisions to where I am now and think about how I would go about it differently. I, one thing I'll tell you, Jeff, I wouldn't try to go to a 40 stock or a 20 stock portfolio. Yeah, that's interesting. I was that was one of my questions for you is would you if you were starting over with all your knowledge, would you still have a large stock portfolio like you do? Yeah, I, I definitely would. And the reason why is because that's what works for me. Because I promise you, if I did sell everything and take my money and say, Okay, I'm gonna concentrate into forty stocks, two years from now, I'd have sixty stocks. A right. year after that, yeah. I'd have eighty stocks. So it's just the nature of how I invest. I prefer to take more bets to take smaller bets. I'll concentrate a portion of my portfolio into dividend growth stocks and the, the, the areas that are like the higher yield and that kind of stuff. And that's like kind of the ballast and that's concentrated larger percentages in individual investments. But then you look on the other end of the barbell and, you know, I may take a half a percent position in a company to start because it's far more speculative. And we on the episode where we were talking about valuation was, I think, running away from fires. The episode we were talking about valuation matters more with steady, stable businesses that are lower growth. So the thing with a lot of those higher growth companies, valuation, of course, still matters, but execution matters more. And I'm like, I'm still trying to figure out if management can execute and if the product is actually worth a damn and has economic modes, right? So I start with smaller bets with those. And I know that's who I am as an investor. So I see there's no, there's no logical way that I'm going to change who I am. I know how to invest with that framework well. And it's, it's worked for me. It's helped deliver market-beating returns. So I try to change it. So I think I would change a couple things. If I could start over, but with my what I've learned over the last couple of years. I would so here's a, here's a question for you. Yeah. No, you, go, you first, and then I'll ask the question after. Okay. So I think the first thing I would do is when I started, I bought really tiny amounts of things. I'm talking like $5 worth of stuff because I was just figuring out how it all worked. And I got like days of entertainment from spending $5 on a, on a piece of Zoom stock and watching it go up and down every day because I was still learning like how the market worked. So knowing that I wouldn't have to worry about that kind of learning curve and knowing that I still would have the vast majority of my and my wife's combined investment worth in index funds, I would probably start with larger positions on stocks that I was more certain of and do less of what you were just talking about, which is taking really tiny amounts of money and putting it towards things and just keeping an eye on them. Because what I have found is I did a lot of that and now I, it's too much to keep track of. And I've said before a bazillion times, I really like to keep track of it. And I really want to know the companies. 
but I also don't want to bail on some of them because they are still small positions in small companies that I think have bright futures. So I want to not be the idiot who looks back and says, oh, I sold X stock before at 10X. So I'm, I'm, I'm in this kind of weird position. So I think if I were starting from scratch and knowing I had all that money in index funds as like my, the other end of my barbell, like to use your analogy, I think I would do my research and I would decide if I was buying weekly or buying monthly, I would decide, okay, today I'm going to buy this stock. And then that's how I would start. And then the next time I buy, I would have a decision, buy something new or buy more of what I already bought. And I would just kind of take it like that rather than spend, I'll just pick a number. Like, let's say I invest 200 bucks every time, rather than take that 200 bucks and buy a bunch of stocks, splitting that 200 bucks up and start building positions slowly. I would just dive in a little bit more deeply at first. Cause what I've learned is I've owned some stocks for three years now and they're up. I'll use Nvidia as an example. It's up for me over a hundred percent. Now I've bought it several times. It's still 0.02% of my overall portfolio. So if I had made that a 1% position in 2000, I'd be a lot happier right now, you know? So, and I, and I wouldn't have been putting that much at risk really in the scheme of like my portfolio, right? Cause it was such a small part of my overall thing. So I think that's the, the first place my mind goes to when I think about starting over is I would more deliberately build positions from a larger starting point and be a little bit more discerning about why I'm buying things. I still have a lot of borrowed conviction picks in my portfolio that honestly I've kept because they're either up or down and I think they have still have potential, but that I don't know if I would buy them now starting from scratch. So that's my starting point. Yeah. I, the, the question I was going to ask you, I've decided to not ask you. So we'll just leave that. We'll leave that weirdness in the recording. I think that's important, <laughs> but, but no, I was, it's interesting because, you know, you, you said earlier in, in the show and this, like, it's literally every week I get a text from you that says, it says, I'm going to sell everything. Right. And it's rhetorical for the most part. You don't mean everything. You mean everything but three stocks, right? right. It's like, I mean, mo- I mean but almost everything. Almost everything. Right. It, and, but I think one of the interesting things about it is, you know, I was talking about again, having this diverse portfolio of it's over 100 stocks now. And I think somewhere around 100 stocks is where I will probably be most of my active stock picking life. At some point, I'm, you know, I, I, that, that may change, but I, I don't know it's going to change that much, but I wanted to say this because I think this is, this is important because so many people listening to this, they actually have real jobs and they don't have the time to research the hundreds of companies that I do, Jeff. So what is your, what is your target number of stocks, individual stocks to hold? I always tell myself it's around 25 ish. And I think I have that number in my head because you know, you and I both do contract work for the Motley Fool and that's kind of their, you should have at least 25 is sort of what they say. So you, that you mm-hmm. just to kind of protect yourself, have enough diversification to, to survive a couple losers. Again, I don't know if I would have to have that many, even if, again, if it's, if my overall stock portfolio is such a small part of my overall portfolio, but I feel well, like that, some- and that was the point. That was the point that I wanted to make. It's, it's, it's really, it's not 25, it's 525. Right. Because index funds, right? You yeah. own those S&P 500 index funds or, you know, some other total market fund where you have substantial exposure and it gives you an opportunity to try to find your best ideas 
in a way that can be less destructive if you're wrong. It can dampen the upside. But again, if you're not able to commit the time, it's a smart, it's a smarter way to do it. So I think that's important to talk about too. Yeah, I don't know that I have a set number. I think I'll know when I get to a point where if you know, you know. Yeah. Cause I still have I have stocks in my portfolio I know I think pretty well. Like I can talk about them sort of at any point. I I can reference how they're doing quarter to quarter. And then I have a bunch that I know fairly well. I can give you like an elevator pitch about why I own them and how they're doing. And I still have probably a quarter to a third of my portfolio or stocks that I I can tell you what they do, but that's not but not a lot more than that. You know, it might be a one sentence thing and I have a, you know, a spreadsheet of their results and stuff and I keep track, but I don't know the companies really well. And those are the ones that sort of bother me because I'm a little bit of a lunatic when it comes to understanding them. So I think I'll, when I get to the point where I no longer feel that way, when I feel like I have a pretty good grasp on everything in my portfolio, maybe I'll, I'll know that that's, that's correct. Or maybe the, my current number is correct and I just don't have the right 60 something right now for the exact reason I just, I just talked about. Yeah. And I think you never will because the, the hundred stocks that I have, let me see if I can give an, like an exact number here. It should be directionally close. I have 104 stocks in my portfolio right now, 104 stocks. And you, you got to remember it was over 120 last year at some point. And this is going to get to something you and I, we all, I don't want to say we butted heads about, but it's something that I kind of had some pushback about. But I think you said something along the lines of, can't really do anything about that now or can't change it. Yeah. I think you might be right about that in your pushback because. So the question was, what would you change that you don't feel like you can change now? Yeah. I think that's the reason I come back to. I want to blow it up and start over again. I feel like that's the permission structure to do all the things that I kind of want to do, but feel like I can't. So here's where I get caught up and you can push holes in my thinking here. I'll use, I'm trying to think of a good example. Okay. I'll use the company Fiverr as an example. Okay. I own it because I bought it on borrowed conviction when it was way too overvalued a long time ago. I would this never buy the, it. This is the company that does the, the, the like gig working, right? Gig work like, payroll basically right. is what they do. So you like, here's an example. Worker that does a yeah. thing that you need to do and hire them on the platform. Right. Yep. Right. Like if we wanted someone to write a theme song for the podcast, we could go to Fiverr, type that in, pay someone. Sometimes you want to go everybody. Yeah. Okay. So you're not the person doing it. Uh, so I own it. I would never buy it right now because I just, I don't know that I have like a ton of conviction in the company. It's down big, but for some reason I can't bring myself to sell it. And I think it's because I don't want to lose that amount of money. It's not right. a lot of money, but I still don't want to lose it. And to me, it's like, well, I'll just leave it there for 15 or 20 years and maybe it breaks even one day. And then I can at least get out for, for less of a loss, but that's where, and, and but stupid, if I don't want to own it, I should just freaking sell it. And take the tax write off at least. And but I have a bunch of examples like that. And I think that's where I feel like if I had, if I blew it up and started over, that would be my excuse to do the thing I probably should do. <laughs> it's it's starting to go into another therapy session, isn't it? It kind of is. But no, I think this, and tell me if I'm wrong here, but it's not because I've fallen prey to this before. It's not the dollars, it's the percentages. 
No, for me, it's the, I think for me, it's the dollars. Really? Really? So if, if that same stock was down, I don't know, if it was down 70%, but it was only like, I was going to lose 80 bucks because I bought such a stupid small amount of it, I'd probably cut bait. Yeah. But because yep. it's a couple hundred dollars, it's just, I don't want to, I know it's stupid. Again, if I think of it is as in like, do I want to lose a couple hundred dollars? The answer is no. If I think of it as, do I want to lose 0.0002% of my, or I'm just making up a fraction, you know what I mean? Like, then I'm like, like whatever, ah, whatever. Tiny fraction of your portfolio. Right. It is. Right. So this is where I'm probably being dumb about it, but I'm hoping at least someone else listening feels this way too. And it's not just me. I think most people do. I really do. I think most people do because a couple things happen. The first thing we do, it's human nature. I think, I think I told, I told the story on here. This was one of our first episodes where a buddy of mine, who's, he's a, a police officer and we've got kids the same age. We play softball together. We were just hanging out and he was asking me about a stock. He said, if I bought a stock, I bought, let's say I bought GE and the price falls by half, where did the money go? Right. We talked about that. And I think the first, that's like the first thing that as investors, when you buy a stock, you just lost all of your money the day you bought the stock. You didn't lose it, but you traded that money. Right. In the same way that if you go to the gap and you buy a pair of jeans, I don't know if people buy jeans at the gap anymore, but just as like, my, as my, two dudes in their mid forties. Yeah. It's a Gen that's, X example. That's a perfect right. reference for us. It's, it's right in the sweet spot. But the point is the minute you give, you buy those jeans, you no longer have money. You have jeans, right? You buy a car, you no longer have the money. You have a car. And it's the same way with a stock. You no longer have money. You have a stock, right? So, and the market's going to bear what it's going to bear for it. You just have to decide if you want to continue to own that stock or not, right? And I guess, I guess maybe I'm weird. Jeffy's, I think most people, I've talked to a ton of people about this stuff before. I think most people are the way that you are. And it gets back to that price anchoring, right? I mean, I've, I've, if I had a dollar for every time somebody said, I'm going to sell that stock as soon as it goes back to even, I'd have like at least $7. No, I'd have, I'd have hundreds of dollars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And the and thing it, that goes through my mind when I hear people say that, if you don't want to own it, why in the hell do you think it's going to go up? And that's where if someone else said it to me, I'd have the same reaction you do. I just right. Dr. Heal thyself. Mm. I guess that's really yeah. what we're... I mean, I've done the exercise. I've gone through my portfolio and just yeah. said to myself, yes or no, would I buy it today? And I can't bring myself to sell all the stocks for which my answer is no. Which is, right. which is it's remarkable. It's, it's remarkable. remarkable. So let me take this in a different direction, right? Because I think we've yeah. sort of beat this horse dead a little bit. What is one thing you've thought about changing about your investing process or something, something about how you invest that you've at least considered changing recently that you haven't done yet and why? Well, the, the obvious one, and this, this should be more obvious for more investors, particularly who are coming up on 50, I'm 46, I'm not, not quite there yet, but that are getting a little bit really older. Really close thinking, though, really, really close. I know. I know. And I have to have knee surgery now, so I feel even closer. But it's one of those things where you you have to start thinking less about upside and more about protecting your money. And with this change in the interest rate regime, 
like I'm, I'm at the point where I'm starting to think more about more about bonds, more about fixed income, because yeah, I'm not there yet. Because number one, we, we've talked about this before with money markets, because the the yield curve is still flipped upside down. You can get better yields on short term money than you can on long term bonds. It doesn't doesn't make sense at this point to do that to do that. But at some point, it's going to make sense. I'm going to be ten years away from deciding that I I don't. I want I want to no longer have to rely on earning an income and I need to start prote- preserving some of that wealth. So this is something that I've been thinking a lot more about and spending more time researching because the reality is that bond funds can be really tough. Last year by some measures was the worst year for investors in 100 years because it wasn't just stocks that went down 20%. Yeah, bonds too. lost yeah. like 15% of their value. So for people that needed to sell bonds for income or own bond funds, it was a brutal year for total wealth, right? So that's that's a big, I think that's a big thing that's becoming kind of more and more something that I've been thinking about. I think the thing I've thought about doing the most, and it's along the lines of like, so thinking through this whole conversation that we just had, like, I'm realizing more and more as we talk, like, there's nothing stopping me or you or anyone from doing doing the same thing as blowing it up and starting over without blowing it up and starting it over. You just have to have the guts to do it and know yeah. that, it, you know, think, have enough conviction that it's the right decision, I guess, or that's how I'm thinking of it for myself. I don't want to speak for other people, I guess. But one thing I have thought about, because so I like to buy every week. We've talked about this a bazillion times on the podcast. And I used to take that weekly amount and spread it among two or three stocks. and the change I made recently was I still buy every week, but I take that dollar amount and just put it into one stock. So each time I'm buying, I'm buying a little bit of a bigger portion. I have thought about going to like twice a month or just once a month, but pulling all that money together and you know doubling or quadrupling into one stock, what I'm now putting into four over the course of a month to sort of get to what I talked about earlier, right? If I could start over, I would do a little more research, build up a little more conviction and take a little bit of a larger bet each time on certain companies. I, I like the way that I like the way that you've evolved there. And I like to think I played some some role in in, in nope. that. No, um, not at all, actually. Yeah. That's probably more accurate. But I but I <laughs> I the thing I like about it is that it's I think it's a, a really, really good way for you to find your conviction, right? Certainly a good way to test your conviction because you're raising the stakes for every decision that you make, right? So Yeah. And I feel comfortable doing it from the standpoint of like, I don't have as much time to to think about individual stocks as you do, but I do spend more time thinking about it than maybe the average person who has a day job, considering my side hustle is to do this podcast with you and to write about stocks. So I feel like that's built my confidence a little bit. And, yeah. and I, I'm pretty confident too, in the sense that like, I won't lose track of something, you know what, you know what I mean? Like I, I might make the wrong decision, but I'm not going to have three quarters go by and not realize that a company I own is like really falling apart. So that's one thing. And, and again, like I, t- I think I could do that. And that's sort of one of my blow it up and start it over kind of things I would, could do. And I wouldn't have to blow it up and start over to do it. I think there's a couple of things that come into play when people go, like go through these thought processes of 
you know, I want to change stuff, but I, I can't, I own this. I own this. I can't sell that when it's down. I, I got to wait for it to go back up before I can, this is the stupidest thing in the world. People stop doing that, but it's like how we're wired. And then, and then you also look at your portfolio and you're like, wow, Apple's been a really good stock to own and they keep coming out with great stuff. And I'd be an idiot to sell Apple. Right. So we, we, we talk ourselves into holding on to our biggest winners and holding on to our biggest losers. And everybody has limited capital, right? If, if you have unlimited capital, you're not participating in this conversation with us. So I'm not talking to you, if that's you. But you could make a contribution to the smattering. We'd, we'd accept it. That's right. We are taking contributions from those with unlimited capital. Yes, yes. But my, my point is, because of those psychological factors that come into play and also the fact that we have limited capital, it, it can be hard to kind of rationalize what is the correct thing to do especially when there's a body of evidence that does support, often the best thing to do is nothing. Right. But I think the best thing to do is nothing when you, when you already own something pretty good. And like, that's, that's one of the, one of the things I think a lot of people are, are really challenged with figuring out. Yeah. And I, that, that like you should sell very reluctantly sort of lives in my head rent free. Like I, that does resonate with me. It's like an investing philosophy that I, I actually think is largely true because not for every company, but for a lot of companies, if they're at least a, a good, if you go out and bought a good business to begin with and you wait long enough, the odds get better and better and better that it'll be okay for you as an investment. Now there's always the examples of the companies that won't, but I think that's why I am slow to sell. Like, that's why even though I might text you weekly about blowing up my portfolio, I don't actually do it. So one thing that it was something I already knew, but it was reinforced for me last week when we talked with Nick about semiconductors and investing generally. One of the questions we asked him at the very end was, what's in your toolbox to weather down markets? And he, he took it in the direction of mindset. And he was very clear and quick to say, it took me a long time to do this, but I had to get in the mindset of I'm buying businesses and companies and not stocks. And I've known that and I've said that to other people and it just, but like to hear him say it so like definitively, I think that's related to what we're talking about in terms of why have something in your portfolio, you know, if it was your buddy pitching it to you as a business and you're like, eh, not so sure. Why would you own that? You know, like, I like that. I like that way. Maybe that's something that will help me decide what I do end up keeping and what I do end up selling. Well, it's, you know, I want to, I want to kind of circle back to what I was talking about, about like working through those biases and something, this is something you and I both done is I think we've done a generally good job, both of us over the past six months or so of starting to kind of trim the weeds versus trimming the flowers, so to speak, and really try to make sure we fully understand what we own, why we own it, and if we want to continue owning it. And one of the things I've also done, and I, I did a video about it, and we talked about it, is you know, I sold, I sold most of my NVIDIA before, before reported earnings. Of course, I look completely idiotic. Now the stock went on such a just insane run afterwards. But I, I, I didn't regret my decision because of the short-term movement, because of the, reason, the reason I sold was I essentially saw the next five years worth of gains occur in a eight month period, mm -hmm. right? 
and and I I needed to reduce my exposure to the company because it had become a pretty large portion of my portfolio. This is a stock that wasn't in my top 15 holdings a few years ago. And then I bought some, I added to it sometime in that decline, decline period before it started this run. So I think maybe November last year, November, December last year, I bought a pretty large portion and I got what I was expecting for the next four or five years all at once. And it had just gotten so big. So I had liquidated that and I felt relatively recently, but you know, over the spring, I was I sold off a good number of things, and I found my position myself with a pretty large portion of cash. So, talking about how I'm not really wired, kind of the same way I think a lot of other people are to like look at those small losers and say, okay, well, I, I can I'm just going to hold out until it comes back, and then and then I'll sell it or then I'll reevaluate, and just trimming all those weeds. I will tell you, and something else we talked about with our our running towards fires episode with bank stocks. You know, I made some mistakes along the way. First Republic, it was a it was a great trade that I turned into a hold that lost me money. But I I I didn't throw the baby out with the bathwater, Jeff. And I've talked about how much I've invested in in bank stocks over the past six weeks or so, really going back to March 10th, when Silicon Valley Bank failed, Signature Bank failed. My portfolio is now it's it's probably 15, it's probably more than 15% bank stocks now, maybe close to 20% bank stocks. But the gains, again, this is not a brag, but this is just to show you how a good process can work. And it's all very short term. But I positioned myself with enough liquidity so that I could be flexible when I saw opportunities. And we've gone through this kind of weird, I'll call it a mini crisis so you don't cringe as much. You don't think it's a crisis, it's a mini crisis. Anyway, the, whatever we've gone through with bankings, I saw an opportunity. Right? Yeah. Whatever you want to call it, I saw a clear opportunity where fear was driving a lot of investors away from some really good high quality businesses. And the gains that I've I've made fourfold the gains than versus what I lost in that bad first republic trade. So and I have no intention of cap of 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 realizing those gains because I own some really great franchises that I feel are pretty safe. So I've always tried to be aware of trying to have a little bit of cash to have flexibility to act when the market does give you opportunities. And I guess maybe that's one of the reasons I'm a little less, I don't really feel like I need to make a ton of changes because my portfolio has changed a lot over the past 15 years. Yeah. And I, I think you've made a bunch of changes just in the last couple of months, right? Like going back to I think it was in November that we talked about it on the podcast. You and I took those two crazy back-to-back -back market days as a good opportunity to pull some of those weeds, mm -hmm. you know, right. turn some of those 65% losers to 63% losers. But, but the point was it was moving on. It was taking yeah. the cash, moving on, and redeploying it to better ideas. And it was fun. It was interesting for me to watch you with the whole bank stock thing that you did because the risk-averse side of me slash newer investor side of me was like, I don't know, this feels risky, but I also know that you did a ton of research and you know the sector really well. And, and that's sort of what you've been doing forever with your strategy of always keeping cash and deploying it either when the market goes down or when there's an opportunity, whereas I like to stay fully invested. So that limits some of my opportunity to take advantage, but it also keeps me from doing stupid things because I don't have a pile of cash. So, so all right, I think we've, I think we've talked around this a decent amount. I, I think my takeaway 
from our conversation before we hit our short little ad break here. And then we're going to talk about the, the May update of our Smatterfolio. We'll do a quick, quick recap of where we are with that. My takeaway from this conversation is I went into it thinking there were a lot of barriers to keep me from doing the things I want to do. And I think, turns out, I think a lot of them are just psychological and I need to, I don't want to say get over them, but I need to put them in that sort of place. And if there, if there, if there's things I feel like I need to do with my, my portfolio, I, I should just do them and not have to feel like I have to start over. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think that's probably fair for most people because it's the psychological side of investing that most people are terrible at because we're not wired to be good at it because of the way we process fear and greed and and pain versus a reward. So, yeah, I don't think you're I don't think you're alone in that at all. But I will put in the caveat that that doesn't mean you do it the day that you decide to do it. I think it's still I already really did good. it. I already sold I already you're sold done? almost all my so you so you did that in the first half of the show and the market was still open. Okay. That makes way to go, Jeff. Good yeah, job. Yeah, yeah. But no, the point, the point is, and I've talked about this before, and I think more people should do it. It's you don't build some friction into your process. I've got the Fidelity app on my phone just to check stuff quickly, but it's incredibly rare that I actually do any transactions on my mobile device. I do it on a computer. Yeah, because same. I want to make it harder to do it, right? So I think that's still really, really useful and, and really valuable. So one last thing before we hit our break, if anyone's listening and wants to chime in on this conversation, like add anything to it, hit us up on Twitter or send us an email, all the information's in the show notes. But also related to that, if this has spurred any ideas for anyone for future conversations we could have, future show ideas, we get really good mailbag questions when we ask for them. And sometimes we're able to turn those into episode ideas. But if anyone, again, we have a lot of listeners who are pretty loyal. So if you guys have show ideas or anything we talked about, kind of got your th got you thinking about an offshoot or a tangent of what we're talking about, let us know and we'll, we'll try to have a conversation around that. All right, let's hit a quick break. And when we come back, we'll talk about the May portfolio review. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. It is that time of the month where we Talk through the 2023 Smattering Portfolio Contest. Give everybody an update. So what's happening here, Jeff? All right. So we're not going to spend a ton of time on this. We'll do a much deeper dive into the actual stocks when we get to the end of Q2. But at the as of the end of May, so this is year to date from January 1st through May 31st, the unportfolio is still, the, still on the lead at 39% return. Now, this is entirely my fault. Because I chose stocks I didn't want to own. Jason told chose stocks that were actually not good. And I am paying so, the price for that. Let's let's be more specific. So the 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 two stocks you chose were Meta Platforms and Tesla, which are up 120% and 66%. They are literally the best two performing stocks in the entire contest. And it's it's not even close by like and not even like, close. Almost and I picked them. I picked them as the stocks I would never own. And the two stocks that I picked are AMC Entertainment, uh, which is up eleven percent, and I think it's going to be down this year substantially because of all the hijinks with some stuff they're trying to do to sell more shares to raise money because they're running out of money. Yep. And then Blink Charging, which is down about forty percent because it's basically a garbage stock. So yeah. I may have made a mistake, but there's still half a year, more than half a year to go. But I may have made a mistake. It's fine. We'll, we'll move on from that. So anyway, okay. the, the yeah, unfortunate fairness, 
in fair go ahead go ahead i'm gonna i'm gonna have a mail call well, i'll give my own in fairness i really thought meta platforms was gonna pay the price for all the money they were dumping into reality labs and mark zuckerberg fired people and said efficiency and the market fell in love so did not see that coming all right the excluding that the second place portfolio by the end of may is jason's so good job jason and a big increase you went from being up 7% at the end of April to up 34% at the end of May. So you had a good May. The next would be team audience who continues. So, so lemon, lemonade, lemonade had a good May. It was down yes. 21% at the beginning of the month. It was it's up, up 29%. Yeah. That's yeah. pretty incredible for one month. Yeah. Which again, just points out, I mean, the whole, I, what I'm learning That's through this whole thing. a 50% flip. I know. Well, what I'm learning through this whole thing is this is, this shows the absurdity of like doing anything in the short term. 100%. Right. Yeah. Lemonade is not a 50 something percent better company 30 days after the end of April. You know, it's yeah. just everybody knows it's a 23% better business. Exactly. <laughs> so, anyway, that's second place, 34% total return by the end of May. Team Audience is in third place with 32%. No big changes there. I actually, Taiwan Semiconductor jumped up pretty decently over the month. Mm -hmm. And then next would be my portfolio. I'm happy to see Outset Medical, which is my laggard, picking up a decent chunk of of a, a better returns through the month of May, and then the yeah, Amazon last... or Trade Desk are up forty four and fifty six percent, right? Yeah, I mean, look, if you took this portfolio as it is, even the unportfolio stocks, I think anyone would have signed up for this this year. This is a really good, right, a good right. portfolio. And then last place is, ironically enough, the the stocks we picked together. Mm -hmm. Simon Property Group is down ten percent. Boston Omaha, which I think we both still really like, that still has not picked up any market love. That's down 28%. But Datadog, big swing there, down 8% at the end of April, up 29% at the end of May. So another pretty substantial one-month performance there. And I'm happy about that personally because it's one of the larger stocks in my portfolio. So that's a quick wrap-up of this where we are at the end of May. This is the mea culpa I wanted to put in. If, if you remember from the episode where, where we rolled out the stock picks, Boston Omaha was a little salty because Boston Omaha was one that I wanted to pick for my portfolio. And I couldn't because we decided we were going to pick the team smattering portfolio together first. Yeah. So thank you, me. Honestly, for, for, <laughs> go ahead. Well, I would have picked Mercado Libre, I think, in mine, had it not yeah. been for being taken by the audience. So. But so we're just a, a quick, we were just debating this before we came back from our break where you listen to an ad that very likely could have just been me. When we do the end of Q2 results, the winner of that quarter will be just that quarter's winner. So it won't be year January 1st through the end of Q2. It'll be just the best performance of Q2. So we didn't specify that, I don't think at the beginning, but we thought that would make more sense because then at the end of the year, we could award a Q4 winner and also a year long winner. And that would right. be. So there's going to be five winners, five winners, winners five right. winners. So of course that means that it's going to be entirely arbitrary because it's a quarter, like it's a quarter, right? It's yeah. three months of, of results, but we're doing it because it's more fun that way. And there's a chance to spread more money out across, across multiple yeah. charities. I want to remind everybody too, Jeff, to look in the show notes for the link to the Google doc that has the portfolio on it. And it, we have a breakout of the monthly reports and that kind of stuff. So if you're, more interested in that. You want to get links to the charities that we've chosen. I promise I'm going to get a charity announced for mine because I'm about to pull into the lead here by the end of June. So I have to have that charity picked. 
so Jeff can pay it. It, I'm looking forward to two things. Well, I mean, beyond just finishing this portfolio contest this year, I'm looking to, I'm already thinking about how we can make this more fun and better for next year. Mm-hmm. But also I'm looking forward to just li- letting this Google Doc live forever yep. and revisiting it after two years and three years and four years and five years. I think that'll be really kind of fun because us, you know, by then our, we'll have cemented our media empire and we'll have hundreds of thousands of listeners and they can all see how we did back in 2023. When we get our start, we'll have interns that are responsible for managing the... That's right. Yeah. The interns will handle the spreadsheet once we get to that point. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I have a question for you because we got a few extra minutes here. We're running a little shorter than we normally are. I I do want to... Let's kind of hit the reset button on the portfolio. And I want to see if there was one stock that you did not pick that's not listed on any of these now. Hmm. What is a stock that you would pick Nvidia. today that you wish you had a started with? And what stock would you would you replace? Uh, you, you can't I, say you can't say meta platforms. I'm sorry, you can't. No, so no, I would I would I would not go with meta platforms. I am sorry, I have to say that. No, I think what I would I would do two things differently. I would for my unportfolio, I got too caught up in what my heart wanted. Right? Because I I don't like either of those companies. I don't like either of their CEOs and I don't like either of their stocks. So I, I chose with my heart, you chose with your brain. You chose yeah. companies that very likely for obvious reasons financially could end up being down massively by the end of the year. So I know it's easy for me to say, oh, I wouldn't have picked the, the best stock in the portfolio as my unportfolio pick, but I think I would have just tried to be a little bit more logical and less emotional in that decision. In terms of what I would have picked Instead of what I have, I don't know. I'm still pretty bullish on my three companies. I mean, I was joking when I said I would have picked NVIDIA, but I would not have guessed in December that NVIDIA was going to go on the run it was on. Right. I think the only other thing I might have done differently is gone through my personal portfolio, because those are the stocks I know the best, and found the ones that I thought were just the most overly beaten down and kind of gone with one of those versus like, companies I just really believed in. Like I might've taken that same logic that you had with your unportfolio and applied it to like, well, this is down so much, just like there's just a decent chance it comes back because of that. Yeah. And it, you know what I think of when I think of that is because we you, you were a, really talking about this company a lot end of 2022, which is Redfin. Right. So up 170, 180%. Right. And your yeah. point was you really like the business. You still think it has a lot of potential, but it's just got, it was so beat down and so cheap comparatively that like it almost kind of not had to, but it felt like it had to go up. One and of lo the, and behold, that would have been a great pick. Well, it's, it's funny you say that because looking, looking at, at my portfolio, I would like my hindsight bias reset would be instead of lemonade going with, with Redfin, because there's real issues with, with, with Redfin, but there's, Real estate's a mess right now, right? And it's hard on their business because there's so few listings. Like all that's a real issues. But that that would have been the one that I that I would have swapped out. And Jeff, I just noticed something. I want to I want to mention this. Looking at your portfolio, and again, throwing out the the unportfolio. Amazon and Trade Desk, those are the best two performing stocks of the ones that we actively picked and that that, that our members picked. Those are the two best stocks. If if Outset was even having an average year. You'd, you'd be crushing it. Well, I will be crushing it eventually. Yeah. So I'm going to say this now because 
this was honestly one of the reasons I picked outside at the beginning. And plus it'll look really good if it turns out this way. There was some language in their Q4 results. And it, they said it again at Q1 that basically said, we think the second half of the year is going to be a little bit better than the first half of the year or better. I don't even remember. They said a little bit. Right. So I am curious to see like when we get Q2 results, you know, and Q3 results, are there, is there enough of like a, oh, wow, this is looking better that because th th this is still one of those smaller companies that's a little volatile where one really good quarter and we could see one of those crazy up 50% in three months kind of things. So I am curious to see how that goes, but yeah, I'm pretty happy. Like I said, I wouldn't, I don't know that I would do the reset hindsight bias on my three picks. I'm, I was pretty happy with them. All right, Jeff, we did it. We have done it again. As always, just a reminder, Jeff and I love to share our answers to these hard questions about investing, but we can't give you your answers. You have to find them, you have to find them for yourself, develop your own framework so you can think about, you have to develop your own framework so you can have something to help you think and not tell you what to do. You know what? You can do it. I believe in you. All right, Jeff. See you next time, buddy. See you next time.